that he wants to be wrapped up into to what we value and in our identity as well. And we're coming to the fourth today, and here it is. The fourth is, we're putting it, hill to die on, all right? A willingness to take risks. Now, let me show you how we give verbiage to this at FOF. We'll say this. We believe the only way to truly discover the depths of what God is calling us to do is by stepping out of our comfort zones and taking leaps of faith. We want to be willing to do whatever it takes to be obedient to Him. And for me, there's this parable in the Bible that I think flushes this out beautifully. I want to read this to you today. Jesus was sharing this with His disciples. It comes from Matthew 25, and and, and here's what He says. He says, the kingdom of God, it's it's like this. It's like a man going on a journey. And he called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money. To another two talents and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now, after this, he went on his journey. Now, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent, he went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, look, you entrusted me with five talents. I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, the man who had received the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. Look, I have gained two more. And the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've entrusted with a few things. I will give you many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you had not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went, when I went out and I hid your talent in the ground, look, here, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. 
For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good times. All right. Can we just agree here today that this parable really isn't about money? If you're looking at this parable and thinking about money, you're looking at it way too narrowly. We got to remember that the Bible is a Middle Eastern book, and Jesus himself was Middle Eastern. It's fascinating that while most people in the West tend to fixate on the amounts, did you? Five talents, two talents, one talent. What's the quantity? What's the volume? How does the transaction work? The same parable has been given to Bedouins in the Middle East. And they've been asked, what's your take on this? What's it about? What's the core central idea? The answer is a bit different than the way most people in the West typically approach it, an answer, I think, that sheds a lot more light. Here's what they said. It's about how you view your master. Let me ask you, how do you view the master? Now, let's just state the obvious. The master is God, right? So let me ask it differently. How do you view God? Do you view God as someone who wants you to share in his happiness? Someone who delights in watching you take risk and thrive and grow? Or do you view God as someone hard and stern? Someone of whom maybe you're afraid of. Someone who is quick to put down anyone who risks losing that which he has given you. Anyone, a God who puts down anyone who approaches life in anything more than the absolute most conservative of ways. How do you view your master, because I'll tell you, the answer to that question is going to impact your relationship with God, and beyond that, the answer to that question is going to impact the trajectory of your life. What did the wicked servant say? Here's the hinge phrase, I was afraid. And so I hid. I protected your money. I hid on to what you've given me. I preserved it in order to give it back to you. And what does the master say to this guy? You lazy, unfaithful servant. You lazy, unfaithful servant. He takes it from him and gives it to the other because you see, for Jesus, faithfulness is not about preserving that which he has given to you. For Jesus, faithfulness 
is about multiplying it. Let me say that again. For Jesus, faithfulness is not about holding on to, hiding and preserving that which God has given to you. That's not what he's interested in your life. For Jesus, faithfulness is something so much more. Faithfulness is about taking risks to multiply it. And I think for so many of us, we have this idea of God that's, that, that's fundamentally re- rooted in the idea of a refuge. God is a refuge, right? Don't even the Psalms say that? God is a refuge. God is there to protect. God is there to keep me safe. We have this protectionist idea of God with Jesus meek and mild. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not just a lamb. He is also a lion. And the most dangerous place you can find yourself in is in the center of God's will. Do you want to experience risk? Go into the center of God's will. Because there is absolutely no telling what God will call you to. God is not a God about shielding you from risk. God is a God who, who, who wants to see you take it, who wants you to jump out into the unknown, who wants you to put it on the line to say, you've got me, and let me see what you can do with it. And there is no telling what God will ask you to do. God, guys, i got to be straight up. God is nuts. You ever read the Bible? It's crazy. You're following a crazy man. And there's no telling what he'll ask you to do. I think of Abraham. Remember Abraham? God just shows up. He comes to Abraham. Abraham doesn't even seem to know who he is. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. I've got your back. Those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. And you know what? Abraham threw you. Yeah, through you. All nations will be blessed. So get up and go. Go to the country that'll show you. And I can just see Abraham, okay, go where? To which God says, I'll show you when you get there. Are you kidding me? Get up and go? I mean, what do I do? Just keep walking around the block till I get a sign? Get up and go where? Take a risk, Abraham. Get out there away from family, away from security, away from job. Go and see what I can do. I think of the people of Israel. They're suffering under Egypt and they're suffering hard. Egypt is the superpower. There's no match. God tells them to go. Go into that sea. Go into that raging, boiling sea and pass through it because I'll tell you, I'll make the water split. What's it like walking through that sea, watching walls of water 200 feet on each side, churning? What's it look like? Like a shark, like right there. Ooh, you know, keep walking faster, right? Go. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go try to make it right with them. Go. Trust that I am the Lord of angel armies. I am the Lord of hosts, and I've got your back. Take a risk. See what I can do. Go into that desert. Go through it. And trust me that there's a promised land. I think of the story of David, the shepherd boy. It's like 12-year-old punk. It's from the smallest tribe in Israel. And the Philistines are there, and they've got a giant. They've got a warrior. He takes a sling and five stones, and he goes out against the one who's armed to the hilt, who's been trained from war from the time he's been a kid. 
David, go. Take a risk. And I'll show you what I can do. I think of the disciples. You ever actually see what Jesus asks them to do? Go. Two by two, he sends them, go. I'm sending you out his words like sheep among wolves. Don't take a bag. Don't take an extra pair of sandals. Don't take a sword or a staff. And you will stand before kings and governors, and in that moment, you're going to quake. But know that I am with you, and I will speak through you. I think of Peter. He's on that boat. The storm comes in. The waves are high. Jesus comes walking by. Hey, Peter, you want to walk on water? Get out of the boat. I think of Jesus himself. In his relationship with the Father, go to Jerusalem, he says. Go to Jerusalem where you suffer and die. There's no telling what God might ask you to do. God is not here to keep us safe. God is a God who invites us to risk. Because when we risk in him, there is no telling what he'll do. One of my favorite stories comes out of the Old Testament. The Israelites, they just spent 40 years wandering the wilderness. You know, they're going to that promised land that God says, yeah, go and let me show you what I can do. They come there. They're gathered. They are now on the border. They're in the desert. The promised land is an eye shot. And in between them is the Jordan River. This is the moment. Let me show you how the story plays out. You can read about this in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Here's how it says. God comes to them and he says, okay, Moses, tell the priests. He comes to Joshua, excuse me. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Any of you hear fish? Got the hip boots? You ever stand in the river? Do you not fish, but you just like standing in rivers? <laughs> no big deal, right? Okay, stand in the river. He regroups. So choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its water flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Cool, I'd like to see that. Okay, hop in the river. Watch it stand up in a heap. God did it before. Can't God do it again? still doesn't sound like a very big idea because I want to ask you today, what picture do you have in your mind of that river? How does the river look? Well, the text will tell you. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. I think some like calm, tepid stream. This ain't going in up to your knees and going, oh, look at the pretty stones. This is raging white water. And what does God tell them to do when you're standing at the river's edge and you're looking at this torrent rush by you, this torrent that'll sweep you away? Step in, both feet, jump 
in, and I will heap the water up from before you. Now, now look at it closely and think closely. What comes first? Does God heap the water so I can step in? Or do I step in? Trusting God and taking a risk, followed by his deliverance. You catching it? Can I ask you here today? What is your river's edge? What are you standing on the edge of? And you've come to a place that you know God is telling you, jump in. But the water's scary, God. Jump in. But the water's going to kill me, God. Jump in. But I don't like water, God. What is your river's edge here today? Because I'm here to tell you that God is a God of risk. God is a God whose prime directive is not to keep us safe. God is a God who invites us to follow him and jump in. I absolutely love this quote. It's by a guy named Erwin McManus. Leads this church called Mosaic out in L.A. And let me share it with you today. Jeff, if you can give that to me, that would be great. He writes this, God never intended churches that means you. God never intended churches or your life to be places of safety and predictability. We've taken Jesus' barbarian call, and we, haven't we? We've sanitized it into a religion we call Christianity, a far cry from the movement we see in the apostolic church. Jesus wants to pull us out of the doldrums of this civilized and tamed religion of mediocrity. He wants to release us to become an uncivilized, untamed incitement of faith, love, and hope, and reclaim the primal passion to serve and lost, broken humanity. Or as the New Testament puts it, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And may I substitute a word here today? risk. Because what is faith? It's risk. Faith is not a set of ideas. Certain propositional truths that we master so you pass the time, that's not faith. Faith is a way of life. Faith is action. Faith is fundamentally trusting that which you do not see and that which you do not know with certainty, without risk. It is impossible to please God. And let me ask you here again today, what is your river's edge? What is that place of risk, that place of obedience, that call, that place of repentance? What is that thing that you are afraid of? And I get it, where God is asking you to risk. Because I tell you, I'm like that parable. I'm like that guy with the one talent. Safety and security. It sounds really good, doesn't it? I get that guy. 
I've got something valuable and I want to hold on to it. I've got something I don't want to lose and I'm going to protect it. I like it the way it is. I figured it out. I know how to roll with it. Here's your talent, Lord. That one talent guy, that's me. How about you? But God is a God of risk. Sometimes I wonder if I should get a business card that says, Dave Gadini, lazy and unfaithful servant. You know? How about you? What does your business card say? Or are you a person who's willing to step out of the doldrums of a tamed and satisfied way of life and saying the Lord is calling me to something deeper, to something more, because God ain't finished with me yet? To live on God's idea of what can be and not our own. God is a God of risk. It struck me. Following God is a lot like rock climbing. All right? Go with me on this. Took my kids out rock climbing about a week ago. We love to do this as a family. We don't get to do it as much as we want, but it kind of struck me in thinking about our day together. God is a, following God is a lot like rock climbing. Now, you would think this. You would think that the first rule of rock climbing is don't fall and die, right? That's not actually the first rule of rock climbing. Listen to this. The first rule of rock climbing is this. Trust your belay. The first rule of rock climbing is do not fall. The rule of rock climbing is this. That makes all the difference. Trust your belay. Now, what's a belay? Well, belay is a French word that's used in the rock climbing world, and it basically means this in French. I think it means something like, please don't let me fall to the most gruesome, horrible death ever. All right? What is a belay? Well, a belay is this. It is about $1.58 worth of aluminum cans molded into a strange little piddly, like, weighs two ounces kind of shape that you clip to this carabiner thing that you clip to a harness you wear. And then someone takes a rope, they run it through this tool called your belay device, and they become your belay. See, while you're climbing, you have a rope. You're tied into a harness, and that rope goes to an anchor, and that rope goes down to someone who is your belay, who is keeping you from falling to your most horrific, gruesome death with this. Here's the question. Do you trust it? Do you trust him? Do you trust your belay? Because the answer to that question makes all the difference in how you climb. Watch someone who doesn't trust their belay. Watch them. They're afraid. They're timid. They hug the wall and they won't let go. There's handholds within reach, but they're looking around going, I'm 15 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet off the ground. If I fall, this is going to do some damage. And you watch them cling for dear life. You watch them hold them. You see handholds. You see leaps that they could take, stretches that they could make, moves that if they were just bold enough to take them, would be within their grasp. But they won't. 
because they're afraid they're going to fall. They don't trust their belay. It was great. I was with my kids at the gym, and they were on this thing called the auto belay. Basically, it's an automated system where you hook in in this automated system that takes the human element out, controls your descent. And they were thriving. They were climbing. They were, they were making moves and taking leaps. But then I told them this. I got my certification at the gym, and I'm like, it's time to trust Dad as your belay. Because there's runs here you haven't done yet. There's new challenges. You've mastered that wall. But what about that one over there? It was fantastic watching their wheels turn. Do I trust Dad to belay? And quite, ans- quite honestly, the answer is no. <laughs> you can ask them, but no, get me back on the auto. And you saw the timidity and the fear and the hesitancy start to creep in. But Dad's sitting there saying, I got you. I know what I'm doing, and I really do. And even if I didn't, I wouldn't tell him. But I got you. Dad is on belay. And when you trust your belay, it's like poetry up there. You watch people dance on that wall. You watch them leap. They look like Spider-Man. Taking risks, taking challenges, delighting in the happiness. If you trust belay. So much of following God is knowing that ultimately he's on belay. Because the thing is, when you rock climb, you will fall. It is not an if, it is a when. It is an inevitability. When you climb, you will fall. And if you are not willing to fall, you will never climb well. Because falling is not the issue. The issue is who's on belay. When you fall off a wall and someone's on belay, you'll fall five feet, sometimes as much as 10. That doesn't sound like much, does it? But when you're 40 feet up and you're seeing everything around you and you don't feel completely tightened in, like I am like glued, it's frightening, it's terrifying. You will fall. When you follow God, you will fall. Five feet, sometimes ten. And it's terrifying. There's no getting around it. If you take a risk, sometimes you'll miss that handhold. Sometimes you'll slip. Sometimes you wouldn't have been strong enough to leap. You will fall. But what following God is all about is saying, Lord, I see it, and I know it can go higher. I'm going to take the risk. Dear God, save me on belay. And I promise you, he will. There's no telling what you might face and what kind of fall you might take, but in the grand scheme of eternity, God has your life on belay. And the question each of us have to ask is this. Am I willing to leap? 
I think of Fellowship of Faith, how this church started. People willing to leap against all odds. People who gathered together with little hope and little chance. Just a call by God in a dream. I think how this church banded together, starting a journey when everyone else wanted to see them fail, and they took a leap. And you're sitting here today. I think of four years in, and they were sitting in vacancy. It means no one to lead them, no one to teach them, no one to guide them, no prophet in their midst. Rotting away in a crap hole gym, and no one wanted to touch him with a 10-foot pole. Asking pastor after pastor after pastor to come, getting no after no after no. And hitting the bottom of the barrel, asking, what does this mean? And taking a risk on a 29-year-old punk who back in the day wanted to start Gen X ministry out in Rockford. And they took a leap. And here I am today. I remember rotting away in that gym. They didn't have money. I just dreamed that it had to be something more than this. And they started taking second and third jobs. They started pledging money that they didn't even have. Stupid. To build this place. To buy this land. And you're sitting in it today. And I think of all the risks that they've taken since then. What would this church be if it wasn't for taking risks and leaps of faith? And I tell you, the day that this church starts or stops taking risks and leaps of faith is the day we should close our doors the day we say, this is good enough, just let's keep it and preserve what we have and keep as it is, is the day that we should close our doors because it's the day we become a museum instead of a faith-filled people of God. And how about you? Think of the trajectory in your life. Those times when you took a risk. The times when you stepped out in faith. Did you fall? Maybe. But do you regret them? Where would you be today if not for those choices? And the moment that you stop taking risks, saying, God, I'm done. I'm just going to hold on to what I have. It's the day you step out of following Jesus and step out of faith. There is so much God wants to do through you. There's so much God wants to do in you, but it will require risk. And I get it, it's scary, but I encourage you, embrace risk as your friend. It is not your enemy. Embrace it as your friend because it is there that God will unleash something through you. Instead, see comfort and security as your enemy. Because it'll lock you into place. 
It'll change you. You'll like it and you'll want it so bad that you will seek to hold on to it no matter the cost. What does it look like to live with God's possibilities in mind rather than what we can see in the moment? What does it mean to take that risk? I want to show you something in closing. It comes from our membership covenant here at Fellowship of Faith. One of the five parts says this. We believe we are loved by God. And though we are broken, God yearns to redeem and restore every aspect of who we are. We believe the only... Will you read the second with me? the second paragraph, we believe the only way to truly discover the depths of what God is calling us to do is by stepping out of our comfort zones and taking leaps of faith, following him is extreme and the life of faith is an adventure. It is a journey of discovering and rediscovering a deeper life with him every single day. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for us. And I encourage you, whatever river's edge you stand upon, trust that God is on belay. Take a step. Take a leap. And watch what God can do. So I invite you to rise. And I want to invite you in a moment to pray. I want to start, let's just pray to God and bring to him our fears. In those areas of life where we have turned away from risk, where we have not taken the leaps of faith. And I encourage you, whatever those are, be honest with God and bring those to him today. And then bring to God whatever river's edges you might be upon Come to him in that place, seeking his wisdom, asking for courage, stepping forward in faith. And then when we're done, we'll just come together and pray a prayer together based on this amazing passage of the Bible, a passage that describes the kind of life God invites us into. So let's start. Just take a sec. Give yourself that space you need. Come to God and pray.
Forgive me, God, for the risks not taken. Forgive me for the times that I've held on to security and comfort over boldly following you. Forgive me for valuing what I have more than what you say can, that you say can be. Show me and make clear to me where you're asking me to leap. And may I trust that even though a fall in the grand scheme, you have me. Unleash what it is you are seeking to do with my life and through me to others. This I pray. Amen. Just pray together with me. Lord, devote us to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Fill us with awe at the wonders and miraculous signs done by the apostles. Bring us together in common. May we sell our possessions and goods to help those in need. We will continue to meet breaking bread in our homes and eating together with glad and sincere hearts. Receive our praise, O God. May we enjoy the favor of all the people. Add to our number daily those who are being saved. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, and it's given for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup after supper and he gave it to them. And he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. And it's shed for you, for the forgiveness of all of your sins. So come, do this in remembrance of me. Welcome. Welcome.